Welcome to the Recovery Lab podcast. We're glad you were able to join us. Recovery Lab hopes to destigmatize addiction and normalize recovery. Our platform provides an avenue to share the many stories of those that have recovered from addiction, providing for the listener the most basic antidote to addiction. Hope. All right, everybody, we're back. Can y'all hear us? Brad, Catherine? Yes, sir. We can hear you. Okay, everybody, this is the Recovery Lab podcast series. I'm Drew Hassan. I'm Daniel Anderson. This is episode 63. 63. Of yes, the Recovery Lab podcast. Uh, and in keeping with what's been happening lately, we've had some repeat performers. Absolutely. And uh, so uh, Kimberly repeated. Yep. Um, Denise from... McCoy House was right. a bit of a repetition. Mm -hmm. And we're joined today by Brad Garraway and Catherine Gigi from Clear Path Interventions. That's right. That's right. Welcome, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, thank Absolutely. you so much. Glad glad to be a part of it. Should I look that way? Yeah, yeah. We have two screens. Okay, so this this makes more sense. Yeah. All right, so tell. Let's All right, started. take it away, fellas. What's been right, happening? So, tell us a little bit so, about. So listen, uh, first thing I wanted to say is how grateful we are to be a part of, of a podcast and a, and a group like you guys that started in my hometown, where I got sober and where I built a foundation in recovery. Right. Uh, I have told people all over the country that you know Jackson, Mississippi. Believe it or not, for the amount of people in the city has one of the strongest recovery communities I've ever been around. And now 100%. you can't compare that to New York or, or Chicago or any of the things like that. But for the size of Jackson, I still personally believe the quality of recovery in, in our area or in you guys area now is is above and beyond what you see in most cities that size. So, yeah, I would totally agree. To out there. It's uh, I mean, I came here in 2005 and um, went to Copac and seems like everybody that came, you know, kind of stuck around, put down or the vast majority of everyone. Um, and, and it, you're right. I mean, to, to that point, I mean, there's, there's a meeting literally every 45 minutes. Um, and if there's not an in-person meeting, um, and you know, and that's just, it's not 12 step. There's also faith-based there's every, every kind of recovery that, that works for you is available here in this town. So, um, it, it was a, it was a, a real treat to get to kind of cut my teeth here and, and put down some roots when I first got sober. So, um, so tell us a little bit about, um, Brad, we know, a a, a good deal about, um, you know, clear path, but Catherine, we, uh, this is the first time that we've spoken with you and I've, I've touched base with you, uh, briefly on, uh, via text messaging. Um, but tell us a little bit about, uh, who you are, what you are, and then we'll jump into to Brad if you could kind of recap as well uh, for those that didn't hear the first episode. But Catherine, let's start off with you. Tell us a little bit about um, maybe five minutes or so about a little bit of of background, what qualifies you to be, you know, with us today, and and how you kind of got your start, and then how you linked up with with Brad as well, if you don't mind. Yes, of course. Hi. So my name is Catherine Gigi. Um, I've been in recovery pretty much my whole adult life. Um, I was raised in a home um, where I had an alcoholic parent and 
I had decided from a really young age that that was not going to be my story and that I did not want that to be um, my legacy. And so I worked really hard um, to make that, you know, happen. And, uh, you know, what I love about when you talked about this um, in the beginning was that, you know, you, you want to normalize, destigmatize and normalize recovery. Um, and so that's a big part of my journey is being, you know, loud about this and talking about this and letting people know that you don't have to go to a certain, um, you don't have to hit a bottom before you um, get into recovery. Um, and that was kind of my story. And so, um you know, when I talk with my family members and people that have known me my whole life, um, they say, you know, why did you get into recovery so soon? You know, why didn't, you know, because some people wait till there's, you know, jail or, um, you know, some kind of negative, um, something negative that happens. And that's not my story. My story was just that I knew a path that I was headed on and that I did not want to go down any further. Um, and so I got into recovery, you know, about 20 years ago, I've raised my children in a recovery home. Um, I was, you know, big everywhere. I've lived in every recovery community. I've lived all over the United States and I've taken it back home to England as well. And um, and I just really like to be kind of soft and open about it. You know, I don't ram it down people's throat. I'm not um, obnoxious about it. It's just part of my life, part of my journey. Sure. Um, and I did my first intervention in 2007. Um, it was kind of by accident. It was not a planned thing. And I loved it. And the results that I got were amazing. And the woman that I did the intervention on is still sober today. And we're still actually friends today. Um, and just quietly through the recovery community, through AA and Smart Recovery and Dharma Recovery and all the other recoveries that are out there, um, my name has just kind of gotten out there and people turned to me for help. Um, and so uh, several years ago, my mother died of this disease and, and left me some money. And I decided to put it towards all the certifications that come um, with being an interventionist and a recovery coach and somebody that can, you know, can really actually help, um, you know, with the trauma and everything that comes with getting sober. And, uh, and that's when I took it kind of, you know, more seriously. I quit my corporate job and, uh, and started doing this full time. Um, you know, linked up with Brad and Roger a couple of years ago and just um, have really enjoyed working with them. They're amazing human beings um, and really inspiring. And so we just want to, like you say, destigmatize, normalize um, and make recovery something that's really fun and really cool, because for me, it is, um, you know, and I've got these 23 year old twin twin boys and a 19 year old son that, um, you know, all their friends are out there kind of partying and doing their thing. And, and they think being so and now it's cool because of not just me, but all the people around me that are in recovery and, and kind of focused that um, their life is just healthy and bright and open and vulnerable. Um, and we've taken all the negativity out of, you know, the word getting sober, you know, right. we've turned into this really inspiring and fun um, community. And so I just want to share that with people aside from the whole intervention thing in the professional world that we work in um just as human beings you know just really being open and soft about it i love it i love it yeah and it's it we from the from the time when i first got sober and drew you're probably the same the the stigma was uh tremendously worse than it is now so i think a lot of a lot of progress is being made and also with the younger generation you know like your twins and your son it's you know it it is you know dare i say 
cool to to be sober mm-hmm. now and um and, and it's hip and it's you know there's there's a lot of of um very prominent individuals that are are very open about their struggles and about their uh, you know, their, their life and their bottom and their, their whole entire story. And, um, I, I didn't see that a whole lot when I first got sober. So that's, you know, that, that it's, it's a positive thing for me that, that progress is being made, uh, on that front. So thank you for sharing that. Now, Brad, for those of you that, uh, for our listeners and viewers that have not seen, uh, our previous uh, episode with Brad, tell us a little bit, uh, if you would, about who you are, what you're about, clear path. Um, and, uh, and then let's, let's, uh, move on from there. How do you feel about that? Works for me. Thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, I had been in recovery for, for 12 years when I had a loved one that developed a severe addiction. And I thought because I had been in recovery for so long that I had the tools necessary to navigate that and, you know, fix it, make it better, help, and, and I really believe that because of my time in recovery that I had what I needed. And, and I found out that I was absolutely 100% wrong. And, and going through that process, what I learned is that when you love somebody and it's your blood or a spouse or a brother or a sister, it doesn't really matter how much you know because it changes the game. Right. And so when all that was over, uh, I had sort of one of those insight moments where it dawned on me that if I screwed up that situation as bad as I did in an attempt to help somebody, what about all the other families out there that have absolutely no roadmap at all right? and don't have the experience in recovery and don't have the resources that I have. And so that was the beginning of the idea of what we have today at clear path. Uh, we have all, our team is, is small by design. We do what we call a comprehensive family intervention. And, and we do other things like sober transportation, sober companionship and family case management and family coaching and all those things. But primarily, the comprehensive family intervention is the piece that we focus on. And, you know, we've all been trained in multiple modalities of intervention. We've all been trained as recovery coaches. We've all been trained in multiple different areas as far as how to help families in a situation like this. But what we've done is to create a model that sort of takes what we've all learned from all the different things and makes it into sort of a, a, a meld of, of what we believe is the most impactful for families. And it's very family focused. I mean, obviously our goal is to get the person that is struggling to go to a treatment center. But what I think one of the biggest misconceptions about what intervention done correctly really is, is that 80% of what we do is around the people that are connected to the person struggling that's the missing link that those people are left without any roadmap and without any way to move forward and to learn how to support their loved one in the best possible way moving forward. I mean, let's face it. We, when we get a call, the family's already tried to do it on their own in every possible way they can think of, and it hasn't worked. Right. So we've got to do something different. And our job is to teach them to do something different but also help their person get to a facility where they can get better. And then to help them while their person's getting better, continue to learn and educate themselves on how to support their loved one when they leave treatment. So it's a, it's a long term recovery planning process that starts from the first call to at least six weeks after the actual intervention itself. And we believe that love always wins. Now, 
our model is completely love and respect based. We are going to prepare a family for exactly what to do throughout the entire process, no matter what happens, but we don't have a shame model. The old school intervention model was a very shaming uh, system that, that basically made the person feel guilty enough to where they would go to treatment. And we do the exact opposite of that. We, we love them into making a decision on their own. So it's more care and less stick. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know how many times I have referred back to what uh, I learned from you in that first episode. I was just about to say about how important it is to involve the family and how it really is a comprehensive approach because I know it must be, it must be daunting for the loved ones. Because I can only imagine how just put out and done my family was with me, you know. And they're like, just, just don't, don't know what to do, other than don't let him in the house. Right. And I, yeah, I had no. I always thought that. I mean, I grew up. Before my addiction was severe, I mean, I grew up watching Ken Seeley on intervention, you know, and, and, you know, you just, and he was a guest, you know, graciously came in and talked with us. And, um, one of the things that, that I thought from just watching the video with no personal experience, I mean, I was, I was an addict and, and an alcoholic obviously, but my, my disease had not progressed to a point where I was, I felt like I was watching intervention from an outside, you know, for, as an outsider and not somebody that, oh, wow, this may be applicable to my life here in just a few months. Um, but what I, what I thought was, you know, they, they, the person that's struggling, the family gathers around them, they read their letters, the person either goes to treatment or doesn't, and then the episode's over. And what really, really opened my eyes. And, you know, I, I did have a, a you know, I, I never had an intervention per se, uh, with, you know, like, like you see on TV, but, um, you know, I've been around the rooms of AA for over 20 years now, and I've heard a lot of stories and what really stuck, stuck out with me when you joined us that first time a few months ago was how important and how much stress you put on the family. And then I, I knew, you know, that this is a family disease, you know, I, I knew that I'm, I'm not only affecting myself, I'm affecting everyone in my family, but you really laid it out pretty clearly as far as, you know, identifying, you know, and, and helping the, the, the person struggling as well as the family. And then what really, what I loved was that you don't stop there. You don't stop when that person goes to treatment. You don't leave that family hanging high and dry. No, you are there with them for an extended period of time after the actual intervention. Um, and, and, and to me that, that that's the key component that's to help the them key implement, component. right. The, how, implement the plan. Right. It would be easy to do an intervention and move on to the next one and then do that and move on to the next one. But no, you stick around and you, you're there for the families, which I think is, it, it, it warms my heart that, that there are people out there like you um, that, that, and, and like clear path that, that takes the time to, um, you know, move on with the family. And I, I don't know, I, I just, I respect that a great deal. And I love, I love what you guys are doing. I just, I love it. I love it. You're saving Well, you lives. know, I, I had heard it was a family de- disease for years and years. Right. And I didn't understand it until I went through it with my own family member. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It, I just didn't get it. And, and, you know, it, 
we we believe that the family has 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 been drawn into a system that's surrounding the person struggling and there's absolutely no shame or blame to the family either as to how they've handled things up to this point it's it's just a byproduct of the addictive cycle and so our job is is to teach them how to move forward and react a little bit differently and to create that long-term recovery plan for their loved ones so we give them the best chance at actually sustaining sobriety long term as opposed to just going to a treatment center and hoping that things work out later because right. that's what human nature is. Whether we do an intervention or just get a phone call and say somebody wants to go to treatment, human nature is for the family to get them to that facility and to take the biggest deep breath they've probably taken in however many years because they know their person is safe. And then they go back to status quo in their lives and they don't do anything differently while their person's in treatment. And what happens if that happens is that the cycle very often starts over when the person gets out because the family hasn't changed at all. Makes sense. Yeah, makes absolutely. perfect sense. And Catherine, I want there's to There's also the yeah, aspect, sorry to interrupt, there's also no, the aspect that when we meet with the family before the actual intervention takes place and we do all the, um, you know, the workbook and all the education piece that we do with them is a lot of stories start coming out. The way the workbook is designed, it gives each person a chance to kind of share their, you know, frustrations or um, concerns. And when you hear each family member, you know, speak about their own experience with their loved ones, all of a sudden this picture changes from the individual family member's picture, you know, with this relationship with the person to everybody hearing every single thing that's gone on. And all of a sudden it makes it a way bigger story. And so once the person actually goes to treatment, they're now able to deal with all the facts because all the facts have been laid out there. And so we're not just dealing with what we think has happened or what one person has, has experienced, but everybody knows everything. And it really kind of, it removes like the blame, shame and guilt from one particular person, because a lot of the times the mom or the wife or one person feels really guilty about things that went down. And it now spreads all the information kind of equally into the family. And so everybody gets to handle that as a family and as a unit instead of individually. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like the the one of the turning points in my sobriety was uh, I'm sure you guys know Brene Brown and her teachings on her research on shame and guilt and what, what I, I was, I was intermingling shame and guilt and what I came to believe and understand from Brene's work is shame is I am bad and guilt is I did bad. And that leads me to my next question. So do you, do you have an opportunity when you're speaking with these families to identify where, where they're shameful and when they're, when they're guilty and how do you help guide them through that, that process of ultimately becoming at peace with, like you touched on Brad, the, you know, the, the shame that could be associated with, well, is this my fault because of, you know, was I a horrible uh, parent? What did I do wrong? So how do you help? What's your angle to, and maybe angle is not the best word, but what's, what's your process in identifying the shame slash guilt that may be in the family's uh, stories and, and helping them kind of work through that. Because ultimately I feel that that's a very important part of the healing process is the parents becoming at peace with their past and the information that is present from how they perhaps were not perfect, uh, and, and made mistakes like we all do. So how do you approach those people with compassion and care and help explain to them that, 
hey, you know, you may not be perfect, but guess what? Everyone in this world is not perfect. We all make mistakes, and that is in the past now. All we have now is what's right directly in front of us, and let's focus more on what's going on right now instead of what's in the past or in the future. Well, first of all, let me say that my parents did everything they could possibly think of to do, and it didn't change my pathway. Right. So so we have to help the families understand that they're not supposed to have been equipped to handle this situation. Right. And that, yes, I'm sure there is some guilt and shame, and, and any parent would think, you know, what could I have done differently that might have changed the course of this person's life? And the truth is, there's not anything my parents could have done differently that would have changed it. Uh, I was I was on a pathway and I was going to choose that pathway regardless of what anybody said or did throughout that period of time. Sure. But we have an entire section in our workbook that Catherine mentioned that, that gives them an opportunity to identify where they have in, unintentionally and 100% out of love and misunderstanding done some things and exhibited some behaviors that were counterproductive to their person's ability to grow not necessarily the addiction itself. Obviously, some of these behaviors can strengthen the addiction as well. But we talk about growth. And every single family that we've ever worked with has enabled on some level, right? And that's what they feel guilty about because they feel like they've made these decisions that they know, they knew when they were doing it, it was wrong, but they couldn't stop themselves. And there's no shame or blame in that because they didn't know any better. They did the best they could at that moment in time with the information they had. Right. And so we helped them throughout the entire planning process, which is an entire day with the family team before we actually meet with the client for the intervention. Throughout the whole thing, it's inserted. So you spend a full day with the family. Again. Correct. Yeah. Well, we would do Zoom calls prior to that to, to set everything up. But the day before we actually do an intervention, we spend the entire day with the team for the intervention. It doesn't have to be family. It can be family and friends, whatever. But but throughout the process, it's constantly reinforced that we understand that you are going to feel shame and guilt. But let's reframe that. Let's not. Let's use that energy somewhere else and let's use it as motivation to move forward and do things differently. And that. yes, None of us are perfect. All of us have made mistakes in every area of our lives, but that's life. So we can't, we can't focus on that. We have to focus on what you just said. We have to focus on how do we move forward in the best way possible to support our loved one in the best way possible and create a long-term recovery plan that gives them the best chance at sustained recovery, because that's what statistically works. It's not a 30-day treatment program and they're out and they're back to their job. It's a long-term plan that steps down from a residential level of care all the way into the other things that we don't need to necessarily get into because we don't have time. But it's it's a long-term plan. And, and your chances statistically of, of, of sustaining sobriety go up dramatically right. if we're able to do that. And we're able to do that whether families have a great deal of resources to put towards this person's help or not there's still a way to make it happen. And that's one of the other misconceptions. People think that, well, they can't afford treatment. There's treatment out there, you know, and, and maybe it's not the, 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 the Ritz Carlton or the West Palm beach place or whatever, but there is treatment out there for everyone. And so when people call us, sometimes we, we, we have to back up and help them understand that, you know, we will find, we will do the best we possibly can to create a long-term plan, regardless of the amount of resources that you have to put towards it. I love it. I love it. 
Yeah, there's no guarantee that spending a whole lot of money is going to fix anything either. No, my right. parents threw a tremendous amount of money at me, and I... Went, you know, you always start yeah. at the good one, and then you end up at the... <laughs> Right. <laughs> I mean, that, equine therapy is nice Uncle and Bob's all, but, rehab facility right. on South 55 Frontage Road. Yeah, no, it, it, it takes what it takes, though. You <laughs> it takes know? what it takes. It takes what it takes. So, um, well, look, Catherine, do you do you do your thing in the UK or are you here? I'm here. I'm in the United States. Okay. And I, you know, I work in the United States, but when I go back home, I take all my my knowledge and spread it around everywhere I go when I'm back home. But yes, I'm here in the United States. Okay. I love that. And also I want to, yeah, Catherine has done literally like, I, I almost feel like at some point she just drew like the short straw <laughs> because this year she has had some of the most complicated intervention cases that we have ever encountered. And she has handled them with the most amount of peace I think I've ever seen anybody in a situation handle something like that. I, I think I might've lost it a couple of times and she's always been like, no, 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 it's cool. I got this. Don't worry about it. I love and that. It's just been, she has had some tough ones, but she's pulled them off. And that's, that's the key. Sometimes it's super hard and sometimes it gets very yeah. complicated, but we still find a way to make it work. And, and she's been really good at that. Absolutely. And yeah, one exactly. thing I, I, I love that. Also one thing that, that you touched on when you first started speaking was the fact that you had um, a, a high bottom bottom, right? And I've heard in, in meetings over the years that people often compared them, their bottoms to other people's bottoms and said, well, you know, I haven't done that yet. That, you know, you always got the yes. I haven't done that. I didn't do that. I wasn't, I, I wasn't that bad. Did you have any shame or guilt associated with the fact that you didn't, and this may be a silly question, but that, that you didn't have this horrific, you know, dragging through the mud, face bloody and mired? Did, did you, were, were you always, have you always been at peace with the fact that, no, you know what, like, that's your story, you know, and, and I, I appreciate the fact that, that it took what it took in your life and you had a lower bottom than me and our stories are just different. Do you feel any, um, do you have any issues with the fact that you had a, a relatively quote unquote easy bottom or are you at peace with the fact that, you know what, and this is what, this is my thought on this is that you are at peace because you you recognized that this was going to be an issue. You took action to ensure that it didn't get any worse. And that's that's your bottom. That's your story. Are you completely and utterly at peace with your story when other people start comparing themselves to you and say, oh, well, you didn't do this, you didn't do that? Uh, or is it just a, a peaceful peaceful thing in your world? So that's not a silly question. There's, you know, no silly questions when it comes to this. And yes, I'm completely at peace with um, with how I got into recovery and and the fact that, you know, I, I didn't have um, a lot of situations happen that, you know, a lot of people that I've spoken with have had happen. Um, you didn't I've also yet. used it yet. in my professional um, realm as well because – there's a lot of times when people will reach out and say that they want to do an intervention on a family member, but a lot of these things haven't happened yet to their family member. And they're like, do we wait, you know, for something to happen? Um, you know, we have no evidence that this has happened or that's happened. Do we wait? And my feeling is um, 
when I first got into recovery, it wasn't even about the drinking. It was more about how I felt and how I felt living in, in this world with, um, a sense of not belonging, you know, and just having those feelings inside of me that had no place to go and going to therapy and speaking with a therapist and having feeling like nobody really understood how I felt inside. Um, so it wasn't really about whether I drank or didn't drink. It was more about the fact that um, I just was not happy, you know, and I wasn't happy living in this world and I couldn't find answers and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I felt like there was something wrong with me sure. and getting into recovery and meeting a group of like-minded people who I then found used either drugs or alcohol or sex or gambling or shopping or some other, you know, form of outside, um, help to make them feel better inside um, was really helpful for me. And so that's what I connected with. I connected with the feelings, the, the feelings of there's a hole inside of me that nothing seems to fill. And I'm now connected with this group of people who feel the same as I feel and who have experienced certain things the same as I have. And, um, and just looking for something else to fill it, whether it was, you know, drinking or drugs or whatever it was, um, sure. that was what was big for me. And so I have complete peace and I feel really grateful and really lucky that, you know, I didn't have any legal issues to deal with. I still had my, my home and my car and my, you know, my job and my marriage and, and all the other things that I, that I had. Um, I still had all those when I, I came into the rooms. The one thing that I get really upset about though is I never went to treatment. I never went to rehab. I never went to treatment. I didn't have that experience. And um, and when I go into treatment facilities or I'm taking my clients to places um, and I'm seeing all the wonderful therapies that are out there nowadays and all the different um, experiences that people have in treatment, it's not just about stopping the drinking and stopping the drugs. It's more about really redefining themselves as people and, and all the other therapies that come with it. And so when they get the equine therapy and the you know surf therapy and yoga and massages and all the other things that come with it, the somatic experiences and um, and just really, you know, taking care of their nervous system and their mental health, as well as their sobriety. That's when I'm like, shoot, I didn't get that. You know, I didn't have that experience. And so um, that's really the only thing that I feel like was missing. Um, but I, it makes me really grateful that I get to take people to places like that today. And I get to share my my journey and my passion for recovery and helping people get what they need to feel better. Well, <clears throat> one thing that's certain is you, you're not lacking on a just a, a golden heart and a golden soul and a desire to help people. Um, it doesn't matter how far down we go or how high up we go. If you have that, what you have, um, that, that love and just pure love and compassion and, and a, a desire an honest non void of any motives. You just want to help these people. And I think that is what sets you apart from, from many other people is you, you're just, you have a golden heart and soul. And, uh, and that's something that, that Brad also, you know, I, I, I feel the same about Brad and I said it on the post, Brad is probably one of my top five favorite people in this world. And it's not because he's amazing or talented or, but he's, his heart is just, it's pure and it's in the right place. And he has a honest desire to, to help those that are struggling. And he's now able to tap into his own story and make his own poor life decisions or, uh, 
difficulties profitable, not not financially, but emotionally and spiritually to now help other people. And that's something that if 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 you are someone that Brad trusts to have in his circle, I trust you as well. Um, that's how much I, 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 I admire Brad. So, um, well, I have to say, I feel the same way. You. I feel so blessed that I get to share this journey with Brad. And, um, you know, he was saying earlier on about the fact that I pulled off, you know, some really intense situations this year. And, and I feel like we're a real team. You know, that's one of the things that I love about clear path is you're never on your own, no matter where you are in the United States, you know, Brad is a phone call away, a text away. You know, if I need something, he is there within, you know, two seconds. I love that. You guys, you guys are going to make my eyes sweat. You know, <laughs> careful. You. Let me ask you this, oh, Catherine, you. you kind of touched on this a little bit. I guess this exposes my own innate narcissism more than it does anything else. <laughs> but every time I've heard y'all talk about doing an intervention, I just assume that the intervenee is doing Delauded in the Dollar General bathroom like I was. Right. How often does it come up? <laughs> you know, it's kind of cut and dry, Drew. You've been holed up in that seedy motel for three days and you hadn't slept. I mean, it. how often does it come up where you have to make a judgment call about the person not being ready yet? I mean, maybe little Johnny's just smoking a little too much weed and listening to, you know, dead shows or something i mean <laughs> is that is that a real is that like a problem you don't well, really I, have like everybody y'all I, I mean you know i i think there have been a couple times where i have seen out of all the hundreds of interventions there's been a couple a couple times where the family had a little bit made it more dramatic than it was than it actually was but when we go and meet with the family and do our process the facts come out, as Catherine said, like it always comes out. And, and I don't, I've never, never gotten to a point where enough facts didn't come out to let us know that this person had started down a bad path at least. And that if we didn't give them an opportunity to change that path and it was going to get worse. And so you guys, we're all in recovery. So we know that it's progressive and it always gets worse. So there've definitely been times where we get there and, and, it's very uncommon, but it's happened a couple of times that are popping into my head where the family had sort of jumped the gun just from a, a crisis response. But 98% of the time, there's way or there's tons more evidence to support when we actually sit down with the family than the family was even aware of. Because you get everybody together, like Catherine was saying, and they're like, oh, well, I've never heard this story about when Johnny got drunk and you had to go pick him up at the bar or whatever. Like, and they're all, and then all of a sudden, they're yeah, all putting going, all oh the pieces gosh, together. Like yeah. Right. And the point of that is, is it creates motivation for the family to do something different. And it also creates compassion. And, and Roger, our, our director of services says this all the time. Like we want to help them understand and get compassion where there may not be any left, because think about like, there's always at least one person in the family system that is, so angry and so resentful and so over the whole situation that they really don't want to even be participating in the, the whole process, but they're doing it to support the rest of the family. And it's crazy to watch how that angry person by the end of the family day 
understands why we're doing what we're doing and how we're, how we're helping them move forward because they see it for what it is. So, well, so and I they may even people, feel, sorry, they, they may even feel a measure of, uh, validated, you know, having their anger and their resentment sure. validated by, you know, an outside party. So, cause Absolutely. I can only imagine that my parents were made to feel crazy I mean, that was one of my, you know, standard operating procedures was figure out a way to, you know, blame them. And, right. you know, all it does is drive them mad. Mm-hmm. And to mm-hmm. feel that sense of validation from y'all as part of the program has to has to be of enormous benefit. Well, and the thing is, like we said earlier, everybody's heard it's a family disease. But our process prior to the intervention is to help them really internalize what that means. And when they sit in a room together for sometimes the first time they've all been together in a long time and really dig into the reality of what's going on with their loved one and how it's affected the entire family, it changes the dynamic and it gives them so much motivation on how to move forward and, and, and why to move forward and do something differently. And, and you know, I think that what I always tell people is that our job during the family day is to help you see the problem and the solution for what it really is. Because just like us in active addiction, we can't see things for what they are. Well, the family can't see things for what they are when we're in active addiction either. So we have to bring all that into perspective for them. And that's what, that's what we enjoy so much. It's got to feel great. It's got to feel good for y'all to be able to introduce into that broken and sick system, a sense of hope. Like there is a way out of this. I've seen other people who were similarly situated and this is what they did. And there is a way out because that, that sense of loss and that sense of there's just not going to be anything to be done. There's nothing different. Um, this is my lot in life until I die. You know, that, it's pervasive and it's got to infect the family as much as it does the active addict. Yeah, it really does. And like Brad was saying about our process, you know, we, we work, you know, for several weeks leading up to the intervention. So, you know, via zoom calls and then the day before we spend the entire day with the family working with them, going through this workbook, we don't even really discuss the actual intervention until the very end of family day. So we've done all this, you know, um, background work with them. They've really come to a place of um, acceptance um, and then they want to move into the solution. You know, they're in a place where they really want this to happen and they're really on board to make it happen. So by the time we actually get to discussing the actual intervention itself, they've kind of gone through the gamut of all these different feelings, you know, and they've, they've realized they've maybe had a part in it and then they've come to accept that they have a part in it and then they want to change what their part is, you know, going to be moving forward before we even discuss what the intervention plan, you know, actually is going to be before we talk about the intervention, all this stuff has happened prior to that. And so that's where the magic really happens. And you see it, you know, during family day, start off one way where there's, you know, the angry person, there's the upset person, and there's the person that's taken on all the blame and shame and guilt, you know, and each person in this, you know, family dynamic and family system has a job that they have been doing really well um, up until this point. And so watching them all kind of soften and open and um, come to a place of acceptance and really wanting to move into the whole recovery process is unbelievable. It's such a magical 
day um, to watch unfold before the intervention even takes place. Absolutely. So let's Absolutely. talk about a, a unified family uh, with healthy, a healthy plan is stronger than any one person's addiction. Absolutely. As simple as that. But it takes someone with knowledge like clear path intervention to be able to kind of lead up that or, or lead the family because, you know, yes, a family is, is stronger than, then a connected family is stronger than any anybody's addiction, but also a a chaotic, unorganized family is is not going to be very effective at at achieving anything. And then here you guys come in with a a calm, peaceful demeanor and say you line everybody up and say, all right, let's all sit down, let's all get on the same page, and let's create a unified front. That is something that you don't get unless you hire a professional in most cases, I would imagine. So you are also offering that service of bringing that family together. And, and, and I imagine a tremendous amount of your job is listening, listening to the parents and becoming, you know, understanding all the dynamics that that may be going on in that family and from that point from you listening to all of these people you're now able to more effectively create this unified front and these family members begin to trust you that hey this this person they they actually kind of know what they're talking about maybe I should listen maybe maybe I wasn't doing this right or wasn't doing that right and it sounds like the vast majority of your clients are kind of at the position when they come to you that they are you know pretty they they understand that you know they've tried like you mentioned they've tried every imaginable remedy to solve this problem and they haven't had any success so i think that a, a tremendous amount of value that ClearPath offers is that the the listening and creating that unified front because with the unified front, you can tackle just about any problem. That's right, That's right, and, and you know we. It's funny, most of the families have tried everything, but there are families now that we're running into, especially in the last few years, where there's a younger member of the family that that's you know been a little bit educated around addiction and and they just know we need to bring in a professional right now right. mom dad brother sister we need to bring it we can't do this we need to bring in a professional and listen it just goes back to my own story what i was saying at the beginning i thought because all those years in recovery i could navigate it on my own and i i would love to have had a professional to come in with a calm demeanor and walk me through that entire process but it didn't happen that way but we're just bringing somebody in that's not emotionally attached right. and that is grounded and that is able to help create a plan from that perspective, as opposed to being sort of in this crisis mentality where we're trained as family members to sort of knee jerk reaction to every behavior that comes from the person struggling. It's, it's just, it's almost impossible for a family to navigate on their own. And we, we take calls a lot where they've already tried to do it on their own right. and it's blown up horribly. And, and now they've called us and we still are very successful at getting in and making it happen. But it's honestly, and I tell every family that it's not because we're super smart. It, it, it's because we plan really well and we teach you guys enough to understand how to move forward. And we're also all in recovery and we've also all had a family member struggle. So we've been there and we're, we can relate to the person we're talking to, not just the family, but the client 
going to treatment and they can't really manipulate us. They can manipulate the family all day. I manipulated my family for years and everybody that cared about me in the last two years of my, you know, demise, so to speak, tried to sit me down individually and tell me that, you know, Brad, your life's going in the wrong direction. Here's a mountain of evidence to support that. Yeah, I manipulated my way out of those <laughs> absolute <Yeah>. mountain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I manipulated my way out of those conversations so fast their heads were spinning. Yeah. And it happened over and over and over again. And I'm not talking about just mom and dad. I'm talking about friends, you know, and right. bosses and, you know, everybody knew. And I was just like, Poop, and I got my way out of it and I kept doing what I was going to do. And, and so the unified front breaks down the person's ability to continue doing that to the family while bringing in a professional brings the perspective of someone that cannot be manipulated as the family has been. Right. And I think one thing that you mentioned that you said that you were not emotionally attached. And I want to stress that just because you're not emotionally attached to these people does not mean that you don't care. And I think some people might make that connection. Oh, they're not emotionally attached. They must not care. They're just out for money. No, no, no. There's boundaries that are in place. You've experienced all of these things in the past. You've built healthy boundaries and what they do is not going to affect your emotions, but that doesn't mean that you don't care deeply about these people's lives. They're just not my family member like they are their family member. It right. changes things. When it was my family member, 12 years of recovery helped did me absolutely no good. Sure. It's tough well, to we say don't objective. Have the, the history with the family, you know, that they each have with one another. And when you get a group of family members together and they want to help, you know, one person in the family, everybody has um, conflicting ideas of what's the best way to do it, you know, who should do what, how it should be done. And so instead of having them try and figure it out themselves and kind of, you know, well, mom's always this and she's always annoying and she doesn't know what she's talking about and dad's so strict and he yells at people and they have all this history with one another that we don't have with them. So when we go in and we're just calm and we're following this plan, everybody kind of calms down and listens because there's no history with us. You know, they're not mad at us for anything. They're not concerned about anything they, they, you know, they know that we're in there for a purpose and we're all kind of this unified front together. And instead of it being them trying to figure out who should be the ringleader and who's the best ringleader, you know, they just kind of, you know, listen to us and, um, and oftentimes just follow our lead. That's a very important point right there that you guys are, you're, you're, you're brought in to, to do a job. You're there to help and you're not against anybody, not even the, the addict. You're there genuinely to help everyone that's in this room right now. Um, and I think that that's disarming to people that are in the struggle or in a adverse situation when somebody comes in and says, Hey, you know, I'm here to help you. I don't judge you. I'm not judging you. I'm not saying that you're a bad person in any way, shape, or form, but I'm here to help, and I'm going to tap into my experience that I've done this over, you know, hundreds of times, and, and learned what what is most effective and what's the 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 best route and the best plan to to be able to help your unique situation, um, and and ultimately, you know, finding a way to come to a solution with this family. I think it's beautiful. I love it. Well, listen, if somebody wants to, to is, if someone is thinking about engaging your services, what would they need to do? Where would they need to start? 
our website is clearpathintervention.com. Uh, we have a number that you can call directly on there. We also have a, an email set up where you can send an email and set up a call that way or just ask questions that way. We do not charge at all to consult with families about the possibility of doing an intervention. Uh, we believe that it is, uh, it's worth our time and their time to have a discussion about the situation, regardless of whether we actually book and do an intervention and work for them or not, because we believe that if we can get a few people in the family on the phone with one of us, then it helps them to understand what an intervention, a comprehensive family intervention actually entails, as opposed to what the general public and people tend to think it being a confrontation or an attack or an ambush or all the things that are out there. And so we're not, we don't expect families to understand that on the front end. We feel like it's necessary for us to be willing to give them all that information on the front end without having them commit to any kind of financial agreement because they're not supposed to know what a real intervention is all about, or at least the way we do it, about the love and about the respect. And so a lot of times when they hear that that's our approach, their entire uh, attitude about the whole thing shifts. And so we do that because uh, we love it. I love that. Amen. I love that. How long have we been going? I didn't even know. I think we're maybe 40 minutes or so. Man. We're at 48 minutes. This is kind of going pretty going quick. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention on, you know, just to add to that is when people reach out to us nowadays, there's often not a whole ton of the drugs and the alcohol that maybe is happening because of the mental health crisis that's been going on, particularly since COVID. We've seen a huge shift um, in calls that we get, and there's been a change um, in the time. I of didn't even think about that. So right. y'all do interventions for people that are just having mental health crises versus Well, some of the ones we've done, you know, I would say, you know, this, this past year has, there's been a definite shift into some mental health issues that we have not seen in the past. Um, you know, I think the change in, in the drugs over the past X amount of years, um, you know, fentanyl becoming really popular and, right. um, and how strong, you know, weed is nowadays before it wasn't like when Brad and I, you know, smoked in our youth, it was nothing like it is today. Um, and so just the change in, in how people are affected by even just smoking a few times, you know, young people that smoke a few times go, you know, can have psychosis. I mean, there's, there's just so much more that is going on out there today than um, what there was back in any of our um, days of drinking. Um, it's just, there's a change. So. Yeah. I think the shift well, she's talking about is it's, it's, we're, we're having multiple families where they call because it's drugs and alcohol that they believe is the primary issue. And sometimes we're finding that the, I mean, there's always a mental health aspect underneath the alcohol and drug, which is the reason a good treatment center operates and helps people to find the root of the problem, right? But we're seeing more people that need a primary mental health facility with a secondary substance use part, as opposed to the substance use being the primary and the mental health being the secondary. Uh, we're just seeing a, it seems to be uh, trending upwards uh, rather quickly, actually. Yeah, that's pretty scary. That sounds like a whole nother episode. Right. Really. Uh, I, I would think that would be pretty interesting to talk about uh, how, how I guess quarantine has exacerbated 
some of these these issues is that is that what y'all have found yeah it's it's uh i mean we know from from just the, the news that comes out that there's all kind of things that have statistically risen from domestic violence to divorce to all kinds of stuff uh, because of the initial reaction from the quarantine uh, when COVID began. And I think we're still and will be seeing the results of that for a long time to come. Absolutely. Drew, do you want to, uh, you want to ask your questions? Well, are you, yes, I will. All right, Catherine, since I've never spoken to you before, you get my two favorite questions. All right, you ready? Oh goodness. Okay. What do you do poorly in your recovery? What do I do poorly in my recovery? Um, I do not do as many in-person meetings since COVID. That's one of the things that has changed. Um, you know, I got into some great online meetings during um, COVID and I've kept a lot of them since then. And so that's decreased my amount of in-person meetings that I go to. Look, I I mainly go to, to online meetings. Yeah, I, I have found them to be... It was weird at first, but I I like it. I'm on one every morning at 7.30 in Dallas. I okay. We get to end on a high note, though, with you. What do you do well in your recovery? Oh, goodness. Um, I'm a whole different person since getting into recovery, and that's something completely different to just being sober, and that's what I try and share when I'm out there. Anyone can get sober. Anyone can stop drinking. Um, that's just a small small piece of it. So as far as being in recovery, um, first of all, I'm way less judgy than I used to be. You know, I have very little judgment about people nowadays. Um my heart is just open all the time, no matter what people are telling me, um, even with my own family members who, you know, have done some um, significantly damaging things to relationships. I'm very open and very loving. And I just have such a good relationship with God. And I feel so guided um, all the time. Um, you know, I'm very spiritual. And so I just have all these very regimented and routine. Um, you know, my husband kind of makes fun of me for my routine life, but I'm very routine as far as, you know, my gym, my water intake, my sleep, um, you know, morning sunlight in my eyes, grounding, you know, breath works, all the things that I do very diligently, either on a daily basis or a weekly basis. And I feel like recovery really has helped me. Um, are, you, are you a cold plunger? I am a cold plunger. Yes, yeah, I am. that's what I'm Whoa. talking about, baby. Uh, you're, you're, you're speaking Daniel's love language. Yeah, now. I haven't and missed I a day in eight my months. Children cold plunging. My 11 year old will come and cold plunge. We live yes. in, you know, Buffalo, New York, and it's snowing outside, and she will come and get in the lake with me and do her cold plunging, even when it's snowing outside. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> also, just she didn't say it, so I'm going to. Uh, what from what I can see and knowing Catherine for the last couple of years, she's also. A very, very, very wonderful mother. Oh, that's very children. kind of you. I have four children, and yes, that is my greatest um, pleasure in life is being their mother. Beautiful. Amen. All right, Brad. What? Go ahead, Drew. So, it same out. questions? Yeah, yeah, same questions. So poorly, you know, I, I don't. I don't reach out to people as much as I used to. Like when I did for a very long time, if I saw a newcomer at a meeting, the first thing I did was get their number. And that was something that I did 
you know, religiously for a long time. I, I still do it some, but sometimes I'm just really busy and I got to go. Right. You know, and that's, that's really a cop out. That's, that's not a good thing. Uh, well, in my recovery, I think uh, I am pretty darn routined as well when it comes to knowing that I have a certain amount of meeting time that keeps me on balance. And if I'm, you know, stray from that routine for very long, it's obvious to me that I'm unable to let things roll off my back like they normally would. And I, I get a little bit snippy. And so thankfully I have learned that when I feel those feelings, I know the solution. It's go to a meeting really quickly. You know, even if it's driving 40 minutes all the way to my home group, uh, since we kind of moved away from the outside of Pensacola, uh, I did that this week. I just made the time and made it happen because I knew I needed it. And, and I think that's, that's something that, that, that I hope never you know, starts to falter. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. So one more time for the listeners and viewers, uh, how can they get in touch with ClearPath? So um, phone number, email address, and uh, website, if you wouldn't mind. The website is clearpathintervention.com. The phone numbers are listed right on the top of the website, and there's also a way to email. It's info at clearpathintervention.com. And then you know, most, most everybody in the Jackson area has my phone number, but it's 601-503-7771. Anyone can call me directly at any time. If I don't answer, I'll get back with you as soon as possible. There you have it. Beautiful. The man's cell phone number. <laughs> That's incredible. Can't beat that. Well, guys uh, and gals, um, thank you. Catherine, it was nice to meet you. Yeah, it was it's a so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You guys keep up the great work and thank you for doing the Lord's work. You guys are incredible. And um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. Another episode this in beautiful the beautiful afternoon. And uh, we will see you guys. Y'all have a good day next week. Thank you guys Thanks so much, guys. Uh, Appreciate nice. what y'all are doing. Have a great one. Well, thank yes, you. Sir. Thank you. Recording 